Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We're your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. How are you this fine evening, sir? Doing well. Just, uh, you know, swinging through the last few days of getting back to reality, let's call it. Uh, your reality looks very much like the inside of a sedan. Uh, Four-door. <laughs> variety uh, <laughs> because we're live from the Mazda studios yeah the the, the joys of uh, of scheduling can sometimes become complicated yeah but luckily we have the facilities to get her done it's surprising how good the acoustics are in your vehicle <laughs> but and it's not zero degrees outside either so no yay me. And it's not falling off of uh the edge of a bridge or <laughs> being thrown through the air uh true which you know is a plus and and could potentially be uh, uh, an issue that we will discuss in this coming episode where we review the new ish spider-man film <laughs> spider-man no way home Finally, I've been holding everybody back, but that's okay because it is new on uh, the digital platforms. Yes. Uh, available for purchase now uh, as of what, last week maybe? So yeah, that it that is new in that sense. Definitely so. And uh, this being the ninth theatrical Spider-Man film, it's uh, you would think that some, some people might find it uh, something that gets a little old, not me. Uh, I'll go see all of the Spider-Man films. I I think when when we did a review, gosh, what did we do the review for? Um, coming to America, uh, part of our discussion with the group was, what movie is going to push you to go back to the movie theaters? And this was the one that most people had uh, iterated as the one that would get their butts back into a, an actual theater. Yeah, most most certainly so. I know I went to it in the theater with uh, with just wide eyes and a happy grin through throughout uh, my getting ready, sitting on the not quite clean seat in the not quite as sparse theater as I wanted it to be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> watching through the 15 minutes ahead of the previews because I wanted to make sure I got my seat when I got to the theater. Yeah. Maybe the screen was clean. Maybe it wasn't, you know, all the, all it's like, that's part of the experience. Though. It is. It is. Now, like all of our reviews, we will give a kind of non-spoilery uh, section ahead to say whether this is something that you should See in the theaters if still able to do so, or wait for streaming, or purchase on Blu-ray, or just ignore completely. And then we will jump into our sort of scientific uh, breakdown where we give this movie a score of up to 100 points, broken down into subcategories of cast, director, costuming and props, location, cinematography, plot and writing, and any bonus points we decide to throw at it for any particular reason. Yeah, we love random bonus points. Because then we make the scores exactly what we want them to be. Almost like it's, <laughs> almost like it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, worked on specifically uh, uh, like a mechanic script, uh, getting you the cards that you want when you're playing poker. Uh, you get that little nervous joy, hoping you won't get beat up uh, by the other people at the table. Yeah. Now, every once in a while, we throw in some negative bonus points, but. 
Yeah. I don't think we're going to need to do that this time. No, I, I, I didn't have any negative ones for this one. But in general, would you say this is something that if you were able to do so, that you would have seen in the theaters, was waiting for it on streaming the right move, or uh, should you have waited even further? What do you think? Um, I think seeing it in the theater, if you're willing to go to the theater, uh, is an absolute. Um, and it's still out in theaters. You, you can still find it on a screen or two throughout, um, you know, m- m- maybe places where there are multiple cinemas in your area. One of them's going to have probably a screen that'll show a couple times a day. I think it's worth it. Um, you can purchase the digital copy of it right now for a measly 20 bucks, which, you know, the theater experience is what it is. You know, a ticket may cost you 10 bucks, 12 bucks. The digital copies, 20 bucks. So even if you spent 30 bucks on it, I even go so far as to say, even if you spent the 30 in like subsequent days, right? You spent the 10 and then you spent the 20. I'd, I'd say on this particular one that that's, that's worth it. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, the theater experience for me on a film like this is is definitely worth having just because there are several instances in this film, films of this type, but this film specifically, that are just kind of crowd-cheering moments. Instances where you get to share something with the people around you that is kind of an affecting thing where it's either something very emotional or something that is just a a payoff for being a fan for a very long time. I know I saw an article uh, where somebody was interviewing uh, an individual that was in this film. Uh, Oh oh yeah. Spoilers. I'll go ahead and put that now. I don't really think I need to, but yeah, spoilers. Uh, But uh, uh, Mr. Cox uh, had gone and snuck into a theater because he he wanted to see what the crowd's reaction to Daredevil being in the film was going to be, and he was waiting for that kind of that kind of cheer. And his scene came up, and it was dead quiet, <laughs> and nobody <laughs> reacted. And uh, I felt so bad for 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 Charlie. He uh, that was such a, a fun scene, and you know he he said he he realized that that was maybe somewhat uh, anomalous that a lot of people had said that their theaters cheered when that happened. He just was not lucky enough to be in one of those theaters when it, when it occurred. Yeah. Now, honestly, if you don't have Netflix and don't know anything about those shows, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know that face. Now in the, in the actual movie itself, when they said, you know, Mr. Murdoch and he had glasses on and you could tell that he was, sight impaired let's call it if you were a fan of the comic books at all you'd be like wait a second like you you might not have cheered when you saw the face but when you got into the discussion you'd be like wait a second that's matt matt that's matt murdoch like you know what i'm saying like yeah you that's i guess it just depends on the crowd that you were in um and honestly all, all those shows on netflix maybe i'm in the minority of our of our audience i watched the first couple seasons of daredevil and i watched the defenders and the first season of jessica jones and that's about as like i've seen episodes of the other ones but i just never could finish them because i never got into them maybe i'm weird yeah i watched all of them and uh, there's a couple that i've seen multiple times (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I probably should watch season three of Daredevil. Daredevil um, is most certainly in worth there, it. So. Daredevil is worth at least from from my opinion, and this is a, a brief di- diversion from what we're talking about. But Daredevil is worth it. Luke Cage is worth it. Um, Jessica Jones is worth it. Um, Iron Fist, you have to be kind of a diehard fan for that. The Defenders was okay. Um, and Punisher was solid. So, okay. I mean, yeah, all in all. And and now the other problem in terms of, you know, referencing spoilers here is since that movie was released in, what, December? Is that when it came out? Something like, like that. Right at the end of December? Something like that. And we're into March now. Uh, for the last two months, three months, if you follow, pay attention to, look at anything that is comic book or movie related as I do, it's impossible for the things in the movie to not have already been ruined. I mean, they were probably ruined two weeks after the movie came out. So for me watching the movie, nothing was a surprise, which stinks, you know? So like, I can't be like when they, when they go to the police station and uh, they're like, well, you're going to need a lawyer. Like, I wonder who that's going to be. You know, like there was no, there was no surprise. Um, when they're doing, you know, when they're in the midst of the movie and they see a Spider-Man walking through the portal that was kind of like, hmm, I wonder who that could be. You know, like there right. was just no surprises for me for anything in this, which ruins the mood of the movie quite a bit because there's so much that draws from other areas, from other movies, from other stuff, from other media. That doesn't mean the movie wasn't good. It no. just ruined that. You lost a little of the punch. joy, lost a little yep. of that shine. Yep, and like like I said, that was all gone two weeks after the movie. So even if I wanted to go watch it in the in the theater in January, I already knew what was going on anyway. So, what? boo on you, social media. <laughs> boo on you, all of you excited people that that went to see it and and couldn't help but share your feelings. Ruin it forever. There's no way around it. But I can understand why they wanted to share those feelings. This was a a really good film. This is something I agree. See it in the theaters if you can. If not, I'm going to own a copy, partly because I try to own a copy of every comic book film. But even if I didn't, I would own a copy of this just because uh, I think it is very good. And I'm going to watch this multiple times. I already know that I will. It's it's worth it for sure. Now, the other thing to consider, too, is let's say you've got Disney Plus. And you're like, I don't buy the movies. Well, this one isn't going to be on Disney Plus, right? Yeah, another it's a year. Sony, it's Sony property, right? So if you want to watch it, you're either going to have to theater it, rent it, or buy it, right? You're not going to be able to stream it on some platform. Some people seem to think it'll show up on Stars. Well, do you have a Stars subscription? You know, and a lot of people probably don't. So I think honestly buying it might be your best bet at this point. But yeah, if you can go to the theater, probably a good idea. Now, of course, this is as of the uh, towards the end of March in 2022 <laughs> for whenever you're listening to this. Yes. Um, well, let's let's just jump into it. Um, we let's go to a slightly different starting location. We often start with director or cast and just kind of work our way down the list. Let's go yeah. into the middle. Uh, and just get completely discombobulated because this is this is a prelude to madness. So let's start the madness and, and go from there. Sure. Uh, let's go with costuming and props. Let's start there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about the costuming and props in this film? Now, let me ask this question. Are we going to dig into, so let's say some of the costumes that were presented to us, let's say Doc Ox arms. Those are digital representations of those arms, obviously, mm-hmm. um, where the first time we saw them, they were more, you know, true. They were true prosthetics that were, you know, driven by individual people, which made it like a pretty unique experience. Are we going to include those items in this particular category for this movie? Um, aesthetics, yeah, I think there's some crossover because it is part of of, of who it is. Because we, if we were watching a, a film like uh, um, Green Lantern, that costume was completely CGI, but it's still the costume. So, yeah. um, the the design element and what it is can have an effect in this particular category. Now the um, execution can still show up in cinematography. Yep. Uh, but yes. So that being said, it's, it's fair game. Um, so what, what did you think of the costuming? Well, I'll, I'll touch on this maybe multiple times, but I, I guess when I was younger and as I've grown older, I love cartoons that are based on comic books. So when I was growing up, there was, you know, that the X-Men comic, mm-hmm. um, the X-Men cartoon was very popular. Right. And there was Spider-Man as well. Now, the, there was previous Spider-Man, right, where it was Spider-Man and Iceman and Spider... Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Spider-Man and his amazing friends, yes. Honestly, I didn't really watch that one. I watched the other, like the one after that one hmm. which was more like the first episode has you know the lizard in it and it just kind of just builds from there with all the different rogues gallery and then it goes through madam web and like all those types of things so seeing an interaction in all the subsequent spider-man things i kind of base it visually on what i saw when i watched that cartoon and and there's a lot of elements that are in this movie, I feel like it's like you took the cartoon and it's cheesy animation because it was hand drawn and that's what you did in the nineties. Right. But then you said like, now we can really draw this. We can really draw and do things and make things really cool. And you know, doc Ox costume or his arms looked really good. Not over the top. Um, the goblin i'll go on and on about the goblin i love the goblin character in this movie oh yeah um you, you know sandman which was more cgi i guess you yeah, could say the completely lizard as well. cgi yeah um but electro had both right yeah like a little jacket type thing nothing really to me degraded things in the sense of like well that just looks cheesy right um that nothing was like oh my gosh that's the most amazing thing i've ever seen also but everything was just really good and i really like i said i'll go back to it i really liked the goblin character in general in terms of the like the the pumpkin bombs which weren't pumpkin bombs right Mm -hmm. his Mm -hmm. his glider his outfit everything looked cool uh he's they smashed his helmet like right at the beginning, right? right? So you did like 
you didn't have to see that at all, right? That was yeah. a good way to just like let's get rid of that. Now we see the face the entire time. Okay, <laughs> let's get rid of this thing that should maybe not have ever been a thing. Ex- yeah, exactly. So like smart move, like like cool, very good. Um, most everything that I saw looked pretty solid. We we actually touched on it a little bit off camera too. Uh, Doctor Strange with his you know, hoodie and t-shirts and like tennis shoes on walking around. Like that was cool. I I really enjoyed that. So now usually I'm right there with you. Um, Everything was really, really, really solid. And while nothing really jumped out as me, it's like, wow, that was amazing. And that's usually what I want to give something like a 10 in this category. It, there is something that gives an equivalent effect in this particular film. And what it is for me is an attention to detail that is astounding. So like uh, the part at the beginning of the film where he's going off to confront Sandman and uh, Electro. He's got the phone duct taped to the front of his costume, which is partially removed because he couldn't clean it all the way. Mm-hmm. And you get to see the stuff underneath, and it's it looks great. It looks like partially unfinished, but not really. And and the duct tape on it is 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 just it's right. It's it's just really good. Uh, little details like the box that Doctor Strange contains the spell in to to destroy it is a reflection of the artistic concepts that were introduced in the first film which were drawn from the comics originally the angles and the shapes and the way that they relate to each other between circles and squares it seems like a silly thing but it reflects the 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 feel of this is what dr strange is in a small way was just really fantastic uh the cpap machine (laughs) I mean, come on! Just these little these little bits of details that you get over and over and over again. Uh, all of the props in all of the costumes and everything, fantastic detail. The representation of the other Spider-Man in their original kind of costuming, maintaining that continuity from the original films just just great getting rid of the stupid blue electro design uh <laughs> good lord yeah yeah like the glowing blue head and face and yes yeah didn't quite understand that at the time and the fact that we saw it briefly you know electro's costume is kind of cheesy right the, oh yeah like the star face mask right mask face thing yeah. Well, you saw that. You just, saw just it for a moment. As, just for a little bit, and it was great. It, it looked just fine. Like, yeah, it didn't look out of place. It didn't look cheesy or weird. If you knew the costume the character always was in, and you saw that, <laughs> you were like, "Yep, yeah, yes, yes, spot on." It's when we when we did the review of the previous spider-man movie and we're like you know the mysterio the mysterio costume is 
pretty cheesy, right? Yeah. yeah. The fishbowl, but they did it so well in that movie. Um, you you got it with Electro in this one. You and know, the, it was that, the, pretty fun. The Marvel films and, and TV shows in general do a really, at least recently, the MCU versions anyway, do a, a great job of paying homage to what came before. Even in the television shows, like we were talking about uh, Luke Cage. I mean, there's a moment where Luke Cage is in the Luke Cage outfit from the original comics just for a moment. And it is beautiful. I mean, there's there's just little, like, they, they have this habit of this is, we, we understand where this came from. And we're going to show it to you because we understand and we know you like it. And when you see it, it reminds you of, wow, that was cool, but yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> this is why we went this other direction. In practical terms, not so much. No. So for me, costuming and props in this film, just so good. I will actually give this a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I I had kind of gone back and forth between a 9 or a 10, but I, I think a 10 just makes, just makes sense. Uh, there's so many things in this movie that are just excellent and make sense that the costume and props are just very good very good yeah definitely so and that kind of also blends into the locations the locations in this film were done really really well um there's a great deal of diversity but not so much that it really muddles what did you think well the the fact that the the spider-man character does a lot of slinging through high rises, right? Right. So you see a lot of cityscapes. And then in this one, what you saw was those cityscapes, but the tops of them with TV screens plastered all over the place. Right. I, I mean, if you go to New York and you go to Times Square, there's TV screens plastered everywhere. Mm -hmm. Are they that high up on the buildings? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't think so, but that played into the part of the of the J. Jonah Jameson character, right? And that presentation, so I get why they were there. You know, we're, we love to nitpick. I'm just, I was just thinking like, lots of TVs, like way too everywhere he he went, he would stop and he'd look. Hey, there's a TV, the top of the bridge. Oh, right across from the bridge, there's a TV. Um, but I'm, you know, once again, I'm picking on things. Uh, you know all the the buildings and you went to this is more plot driven but it had points in it where he goes to his apartment for example mm -hmm. and they're outside the apartment they're and they're kind of like this is where he lives they know where he lives and he goes and, and like it it looked like the it looked like the apartment looked like an apartment building right yeah and i'm not being boring with it it's just like that's what you don't want it to look like some made up place because it's there's a lot of made up things in the Marvel world and right. apartment buildings in New York aren't one of those things. So you really got a true to form look at a lot of those more public and more, you know, publicized. There's lots of people. Those types of places were pretty solid. Well, and he's supposed to not have a lot of money. So, you know, like on a lot of television shows that people would make fun of, like, uh, say friends where the two apartments that they're in, there is no way they should have been able to afford where they lived. This looked right for what his socioeconomic 
status would have been at that time. Um, the the fact that the Statue of Liberty at the end that they were doing that fight on that whole that whole set area is just fantastic, and the fact that it's got the Captain America shield that's referenced in other Marvel properties just briefly um, is <laughs> it's just a kind a nice bit again a nice bit of continuity and but to get to see it and and the way that it's put together was really really cool. Yeah, I guess the whole final battle sequence was on the on them updating the statue with the shield being held high, which was I thought pretty pretty funny. Yeah. But uh, it, it was it was nice to see that you're right that that had been integrated from all the previous experiences. And you know, I'm trying to think of a lot of the other scenes or sequences or where things took place the centaurum with it being all snowed up was pretty funny uh then there was the basement basically that had the torture device that's a pilates machine <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like there were a lot of cool different aspects and areas but it's not like you went to 30 different places and they kept that part pretty clean right there was just where else were you gonna go? Let's be honest. Yeah, there's that they didn't have a ton of different locations. If you weren't at the Sanctum or swinging through the city or at his apartment, you were at Happy's apartment, uh, or the remnants of it <laughs> after that fight. Um, that one nice touch that I really liked is the whole idea is to show the commonality of Spider-Man versus the things that are slightly different. And this Spider-Man is younger than the others. He's still a kid. He's not graduated high school yet. And so the bit where they're talking about, oh, where's the place that he would go to get away from everything? And he's like, oh, I use the Empire State Building. I use the Chrysler Building. He's on the top of his school. It's not that high. Mm-mm. It's 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 a good metaphor. That I just, I, it's a nice view on top of it, but it's just a really good metaphor of where he is in his life and the difference of who he is compared to the others. Yep. I, I, I think in terms of just the location period, I, I think nothing detracted from what we were looking at, what we were saying at all. Much, much like the costume props, there, there was nothing that held it back. Right. It is is really solid. For me, this is a 9 out of 10 on location. I was thinking that, too. Uh, And only because we thought there was all those throwbacks, right, for the the costume and props that kind of elevated it to the plus status. And in the buildings, I mean, sure, you had those things, but... Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't quite as impressive. Close. Yes. But not quite. All right. Well, let's let's see here. Let's worm back around, go back uh, towards the beginning again. Let's talk about somebody we've already talked about before because we've already done reviews of the other two Spider-Man films. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the director, uh, John Watts, uh, talk a little bit about him. You know, we talked originally. I think in the first time that we did a review, it's like, hey, who's this John Watts guy? And then the second time, it's like, oh, well, we know we can do. Spider-Man well and 
we have a certain expectation, and the second one was good. So for me, I had high expectations uh, for Mr. Watts going into this because he did so well on the previous ones. And if you didn't listen to our other reviews, he was known for uh, doing the the Onion stuff for a while, and he's mm-hmm. done several um, music videos and a variety of other comedy and things like that. Um, so you wouldn't normally think, oh, let's give this guy a Spider-Man film. But, yeah. man. Yeah, his his track record before that, like you mentioned, it wasn't wasn't anything crazy at all. Now, Marvel's kind of had a history of doing this, too, where they take directors that have experience, but maybe not big budget, maybe not even small budget, but like more independent things like mm-hmm. or, or, or TV shows or segments. And they've done this a lot and they've had a lot of good success. And now if you look at his resume, it's a Spider-Man movie, a Spider-Man movie, a Spider-Man movie that were all great. And you're right. He gets Spider-Man. But I I think the the next big one that we're going to see from him, obviously, is going to be the Fantastic Four movie. So they obviously know that he can do these or this character well. Right. So, yeah, that's a, that's going to be another big turn right there. I love Especially all- since we've seen the history of how bad they can be. Right. Did you see on the IMDb the list uh, of the upcoming untitled George Clooney, Brad Pitt, John Watts project? Exactly. Like, there's some big names in there. It's like, oh, it's pre-production. It's apparently, it's so pre-production they don't have a name for it yet. <laughs> Moving on up the the director board. Yeah, there. no doubt about that. So, big things to expect. We already know that he can he can keep the the plot moving. We already know he's good with pacing. We already know he is good with kind of keeping the cast that he's got working well together. Um, at least it, it seems that way mm-hmm. uh, from, from an outside, a very outside perspective. So how does someone like this handle not only that, but now let's throw basically ever, every big name actor involved with every Spider-Man project that has happened in the last 20 years. Yeah. You know, we, We've probably discussed multiple times about the Russo brothers and the Russo brothers had to take that task. uh, Once they got to civil war, now you got all the faces, you got all the names, how are you going to blend them together? And you, you got that in this one too. It's when your quote minor characters, your, your (laughs) my minor is such a, deceiving word right yeah they're all important but in terms of screen time and what you're presenting like you know benedict cumberbatch is a minor character jamie fox alfred molina willem dafoe i mean come on marissa tomei there's a lot of faces in this movie that are big time and you have to give everybody their their piece their face their moment to shine voice you know and I, i think what you what you said before too about the pacing and about a lot of a lot of how things just keep going and blending together it it came together so well in this movie yeah and the action sequences were just so good 
so comic booky, so Spider-Man cartoony action style. I don't know how to blend it together all in one word, but that's got to come from somewhere. It's got to come from the director. Yeah. Um, and you know, really there isn't much more to say about it than that is I, I think that he did just a, a phenomenal job with what he had to work with. I have to imagine that the pressure had to have been just top, top tier pressure to get this thing out and not only get it out, but hit all the notes you need to hit. It needs to make the money that we want it to make. It needs to be good. Uh, and yeah, between everybody who worked on it together, just fantastic. But yeah, he, he definitely did well. And the editing on it was, you know, top notch, man. I mean, it's like we talked, like I was saying that not just the pacing, but just, um, you've got a film that's two and a half hours long and is it a film that feels like it's two and a half hours long or do you go is it's over already <laughs> it's just yeah now now there are let's be honest there are some lulls that pop up in the movie yeah the lulls aren't anything crazy and th- they're there. They're plot devices. They're character development pieces. And sometimes your interest level can wane a bit in that. But I always felt in watching this movie that I wanted more. Right. right? I, I wanted it. I was anticipating the next thing to happen. And it could have been a three-hour movie. I've yeah. been cool with it. Well, I, I would say I would argue those lulls were necessary in order to build the basis for you to have that buy-in because I mean it's been a little while since we've seen the previous films we need we need refreshment we need uh, reinstatement of what these people mean and that takes just a little bit of time sometimes and uh, adjustment of what's changed and I'll, I'll take it. It, it it was great yeah um, yeah especially yeah. if you're referencing movies that are <laughs> over 20 years old right Right. So for me, out of 20, which is what you can get for a director on this, I am going to give Mr. Watts a 17. Ooh, look at you with the big score. Uh, I was actually thinking 18 for me, myself. Um, so yeah. we obviously we both thought that he did really well. And he's 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 earned the opportunity to do something big for, like we said, Fantastic Four and okay. other movies, okay. too. And his editing department, uh, they did fantastic. No one can under under not underestimate, but underappreciate the importance of good editing. Knowing exactly when to do things like, say, put in uh, an ad for social media. Hey there, Pudding People. Don't forget to check us out on our social media accounts so you can keep apprised of everything that we do any time of the day. Richard, you're most on Instagram, right? On the Graham Graham, yes. And what are we best known on Instagram as? Pudding Guys. Easy enough. In fact, that's also what we're known as on Facebook. Now, I'd say we're on Instagram just a little more than we are on Facebook. You might get the occasional update there. We are most active on Twitter, where we are at Real Pudding Guys. Uh, We will give you updates about the next episode that's going to be coming at the end of the week when it's released. Any other little updates to the Ultimate Comic Movie Database or the Pop Culture Death Counts will also be there. Um, Now, 
our most exciting changes are going to be coming up soon. We're going to have a new website called Fate, the film and television engine. We're getting close to doing the beta for that. We're still working on the alpha side. We'll be doing a little closed beta and inviting a handful of people into this. I tell you what, it's going to be really, really cool when it releases. Now, you'll be able to also hear about that on our Patreon page. What are we on Patreon, Richard? Voting guys. Pretty easy. Now, right now, it's very easy to support us. How much does it cost, Richard? It's $1 per month. Per month. Not per day. Per month. <laughs> yes. $12 <laughs> for a year. Yeah, uh, that's really not much to help support us as we release new content, as we get better equipment to release the content into. And when the Fate engine comes out, it will have its own cost, and we're going to make it very affordable for everyone to be involved with this. And it's going to be so cool. I can't wait for you all to hear about it. So back to the back to the matter at hand, now that we've been refreshed by invigorating information relating to social medias and how we relate to those medias. <laughs> Not awkward Medias, at all. yes. Yeah. Uh, well, we often start with the cast. So we're going to hit the cast uh, at this point, the first half of the second half of the... We're going to go to the cast now. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I knew what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, uh, you know, they already had just a fantastic basis. Everybody returning, even if it's in really small parts. Um, J.B. Smoove, for example, he only has mm -hmm. one scene, but, you know, he makes the most out of it. Um, if you're a Curb fan, you love J.B. Smoove. He's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Martin Starr is in that same scene and the two of them always play so well off of each other. And um, oh, I'm spacing the name of the third guy that was with him. I feel bad, but he's, he's a funny dude too. Oh, Hannibal Burris. Yep. Thank you. Uh, just having, having a, having a mental moment because he's, he's so funny generally. Um, but you know, yeah, we, we got a lot more of their faces in some of the previous movies. And that wasn't the focus in this movie. So it was glad it, it, it was, it didn't seemed, it didn't seem forced. No, it seemed appropriate to get their faces in just for that little, just for that snippet. Yeah. And that was definitely, it was, it was definitely nice to see you even get to see, uh, Betty Brant very previous, previously, very briefly, uh, previously briefly. Yeah. This is going to just Go downhill quickly. My my mind is going to melt. Uh, the second first half piece. <laughs> no, but uh, getting to see those little little snippets because you got to make way for the names, man. I mean, because you got heavy hitters. I've always loved Willem Dafoe. I mean, he just has a has a signature look and a command of charisma and performance that is just crazy and he did so good in this so i, I i've got to say um willem defoe is almost 70 and maybe because it's makeup or cgi or whatever it is who knows or just you know great genes he doesn't look like that he's that old no. at all in this 
and I'll go back to what I already mentioned before. Uh, his Norman Osborn Green Goblin character in this movie was great. It was my favorite character in the entire movie, and I thought. I I just thought he killed it in this in this movie for sure. Yeah, he's fantastic. Seeing Alfred Molina back, another actor that if I see in anything just gives me a shot of joy because he's he's got such skill and has just shown over and over that he has a command of stage and screen. And seeing him come back to this character uh, is just fantastic. Um, he yeah, he was awesome too. Yeah, but for me, seeing it the second time. Uh, in preparation for this, there were, you know, I appreciated them in the first watch through, but the second watch was like, oh, there's just a little more layer. It's subtle, but, you know, in a way it's almost, it's not exactly scene stealing, but it's what I'm going to think of going forward because I already knew Willem Dafoe is going to be fantastic, and he was. And I already know Molina is going to be fantastic, and he was. But Jamie Foxx, um, has has always had fantastic charisma. And I love him in pretty much everything. And when I saw he was going to be Electro, it's like, huh, an odd choice. Because, you know, generally the Electro character is just dumber than a box of rocks. Uh, and having Jamie Foxx play that and have the be villain, it's like, I don't know. And I, I wasn't a huge fan of exactly how they did it in the previous film. But he had subtlety. They allowed him to have just some small, some small looks, some small reactions. Uh, let him kind of, I f- it felt like he was able to fill out the character just a little bit mm-hmm. more than he was able to do in in the previous film, and have his personality shine through, and still harken back to the character being not the brightest bulb, but it's not that he's you know you know ignorant ignorant. He's just. He's dealing with what he had. And just, that was really, really good. Yeah, his uh, his hunger, right? Uh, I I think is what I noticed about the character this time around is that he had the feeling for the power that was around him, right? Yeah. It's like oh, this this feels really good. I want more of it. Like it, and that that came through without being overbearing, right? So that was really nice, but uh, John Favreau, who is one of my favorite actors, uh, and I love him as a director too. But the happy character is at this point now a really tragic character. He's had so much just crap happen to him, and you've got to be able to have that come through in some very very brief appearances. I mean, Happy's got a handful of scenes in this. So Favreau's got to have this, have that, that looks like I understand I will sacrifice. I will do what I need to do. This is, this is, this is what I can do. And then by the end, have him be a shell in a couple of lines. You you have a couple of lines to show that you are empty. And it's like, man, so good. Yeah, you had rattled it off uh, before, not on, not with us talking right now, about the things that had happened to him, you know, recently in his 
mm, business life, personal life, Avengers life. And it's just like one tragedy after another. And one of which he doesn't know is a tragedy. Right. It is. We know. He doesn't know. But I mean, and unlike everybody else, the, the main characters that, you know, I've got powers or I've got, you know, this responsibility or this skill or this training or whatever. I've got this family. I've got the support. He doesn't have anything, really. He's got, what, Pepper, maybe? And Tony's daughter, possibly. Nothing else. And one of the things I was looking at, the, the details, and you know the, the people I was watching with didn't really think that it was such a big deal. It's like, no, it, it is. This is a big deal. We're in his apartment. Where are the pictures? Where, where is a picture of Tony or a picture of Pepper or a picture of his daughter? There aren't any. It's empty. It's just like, uh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's in trouble. <laughs> now he's in legal trouble. Now he's in legal trouble. Yeah. But so that was good. Of course, uh, Benedict Wong in the very brief appearance we get just phenomenal as he always is. Um, just funny. And, uh, I, I'm right. <laughs> he keeps growing on me more and more. Um, the yeah. new sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> so good. Um, uh, Jacob, uh, as Ned leads, has been great the entire time. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I have nothing bad to say about any of them. I thought all of their performances, even from things like the uh, Agent Cleary character that Arian Moyad uh, did for, for the Department of uh, Damage Control. I, I really love seeing that in the film. But yeah, just just everybody was on point. They had their part to play and they hit that mark down. Uh yeah. And we've we haven't even mentioned J.K. Simmons, who no. did great. Yeah. We already knew he did this character great. Uh but the fact that he was the same character in this universe too, which is Interesting. They never really touched on that. Anyway, he did really well. <laughs> and uh, Reese Ethan's. Ethan's. Well, we we saw a lot of his voice. Same thing with Tom, Thomas Hayden Church. We saw it was like a lot of voice acting. Right. Yeah, a little bit, of, just a snippet of FaceTime at the end. If there, for me, if there is a complaint, or we're going to pick on something. Because, you know, why not? That's what we're here for. Right. Um, the uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man Peter Parker character, I thought, was the weakest of anything that was on the screen. Uh, Tobey Maguire was was fine as a, quote, older Peter Parker. Right. And older, wiser Peter Parker, I guess you can say. Um especially telling Andrew Garfield that he's amazing. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, but Andrew Garfield's presentation, in my opinion, was definitely the weakest of the bunch. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I'm try I felt that too, but I, I'm not certain whether it was actually because his performance was weak or whether I just didn't like the Amazing Spider-Man films. And that was just carrying over to me. And, and, and that's part of it too, because his presentation in those... 
movies was very similar to what we saw in here. Right. It was consistent. It just seemed forced or he was trying hard to act as he did in those other two. And it came across that he was trying to do that to be, to be just like what he was before where Tobey Maguire was just like, eh, I don't have to, <laughs> you, you know, like he, you could he, feel, he well, you could feel when it was natural because he wasn't always like that. Cause the way it felt to me. So in the scene where they get uh, a hold of him in the first place and he comes into um, Ned's uh, grandma's apartment starts off a little awkward, but when it's the point where he has to prove who he is, he's completely natural. He's fine. But it's some of the later interactions that feel a little more awkward. So it's not always there. And I feel like maybe it's just, again, that that iteration of the Spider-Man character is just maybe the weakest. And it may or may not be his fault that I feel that way about it. Because I know there are some people that, that that's their favorite iteration of the character. Yeah, and that and that, that could absolutely be it. And if we're talking about how amazing everybody is in this movie, there are high standards. Oh yeah. And if you are going up against A and A plus presentations, and you are get a strong a B minus, B. <laughs> right? Like you're you're going to look way worse than what you actually are. Yeah. So that. That goes back to us nitpicking. That's what yeah. we like to do. It, it, it is definitely nitpicking. Um, but, yeah, just, geez, oh, Pete. Solid cast and pretty much, and worst case scenario, even if you think that's a solid B performance amidst everything, that's crazy good if yeah, that's, that's okay. the low. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's no Taika from Free Guy, oh, right? Oh, oh, Pete. Yeah, we're not going back to talking about that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, don't. what uh, what do you think the cast gets out of 20 with all of this? Honestly, this one, it, there's so many strong points, but this one's got to be for me a 19 out of 20. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm almost there. I think maybe the number of stars is what gets it. I gave it an 18, 18 out of 20. It's, it's, it's pretty high up there. Um, yeah. That's, that's a strong cast. All right, so now back into cinematography. Talk a little bit about that, how well they did with uh, the uh, special effects, the, the framing of everything, the transitions going from point A to point B. Um, the, again, just really, really strong. Some of the, uh, as goofy as it sounds, some of the camera angles, like I was talking about being on top of that, school building just that camera angle or following the travels through the city just really really nice for the most part i i always look for that that one cheesy scene because there's got to be that one cheesy scene i found one you know okay all three spider-man have to land and pose done they got the one posing scene (laughs) but other than that just still amazing well, I, I think in terms of what I focused more on was the actual, like the battle sequences. Right. And there was quite a few of them in here. 
the the action, the battles, the 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 first one with Doc Ock and the representation of his power and his strength with his arms and how like I'll go back to it like if you watch him do if you watch the cartoons and he always has a grip over his face or he's like grabbing buses and throwing them and all that type of stuff right but while he's doing this you know uh Peter Parker's kind of a jokester and maybe less so in this presentation but e- even when he's in peril or there's bystanders that he's trying to save he's just like playishly talking right yeah he's just having a chitty chat about like oh i need to do this like but the actual look of everything to me was really awesome why don't you just punch doc ock in the face and he's okay well that's a different thing (laughs) Um, that's that's back in the plot and writing that's plot but uh anyway just that action sequence itself got it got you into the the mood and the feel when i was watching it i was so sucked into that sequence of like we're watching a real spider-man movie because of how it looked and because of how it felt with the sound um i have i every time i watch these movies if i can i'll watch them with my headphones on and the sound blasted up too loud so that it hurts my ears and it's just because I, I really have always appreciated how sound works in your presentation. And it was just so good to have the crashes and the bangs and the, the, the punches and all that type of stuff have impact. And then when he's fighting the goblin later on, this is more plot related in terms of his strength level, but right. the actual throwing him through walls and going through different things, how hard he punched, like it, it came across, it was presented to us very well i was really excited about a lot about all those action sequences that we saw the one bit of inconsistency that i felt that there was in the film is some of the scenes all the scenes looked very pretty but some of the scenes were easier to follow than others so like that doc ock fight was very clear you knew what was going on everything was great and this is a common problem whenever you start having uh scenes happen at nighttime. And you're just going to sometimes you're going to lose a little bit of visibility just from it being night. And that's acceptable. But then when you start adding in speed and camera angle changes and everything, it becomes very, very difficult to focus on anything and try and figure out exactly what's going on and see what connects where. So in some of the fights, small portions of the fight with, um, um, with, uh, the, the the building just being destroyed with the fight uh, yeah. with the goblin. That was a little hard to follow in a couple of spots. And then even though the fight at the end was really, really good, as they're going through the scaffolding and things with the Statue of Liberty, it was on occasion a little hard to follow. Yeah, because you've got a you're, – you're following not only that Spider-Man, but then there's the other one. And then there's the other one and it is, you know, it is a different time of day and then there's bad guys, but then other bad guys come in later on. So just layered and doing this. And, and then the scaffolding is crashing because the shield is crashed. So there's, 
there was a lot going on right. in that. You know, it's bad enough if you was him fighting five bad guys, but it's three good guys and five bad guys going. Yeah, there's just a lot going on. Yeah, and that's that's a good problem to have. I mean, really, <laughs> but uh, it does it does cause its own kind of issues. <clears throat> Pardon me. But uh, yeah, the 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 interactions were really nice. Um, I thought that the um, the way that they were able to keep true to the tone of the previous films, not only in the way that the characters were portrayed in their costumes but in the way that they were filmed they they kept that kind of uh that that same kind of tone on the film the same you you could say oh this is the same lighting this is the same feel that garfield had in the previous uh spider-man film oh and i see the same lighting thing they did for um for the uh, for the original Tobey Maguire, uh, it it's small things like that. It was nice to see that kind of replication and and uh, dedication to to getting that feel right. And when a couple of your characters are strictly CGI, now that it's not like the lizard got a lot of screen time, but he got enough, and. Sandman was a lot of swirling sandstorms. Right. That was fine. It was okay. When he when he wasn't, when he was more humanoid, that was probably less spectacular of a presentation, for sure. Right. Um I thought uh Electro was really was really good. He was one of the um, strongest points, yeah. The you know, his shooting now his power levels, that's a plot driven thing, right? We're seemed to be weirdly powerful and not powerful but when he was shooting through bolts with his very bad aim as people would swing over the place <laughs> uh, you know he'd, he'd have great aim one shot and then the next one couldn't do anything but I, I thought how he looked with the electricity coursing over his body right because it's like he became more of a back to being a physical presentation instead of a pure electric being. Yeah. And I think that I think that made that presentation a little easier to do. Well, there are uh, other smaller things too. You're talking about seeing that little um, presentation where they paid homage to the original Electro costume. Well, they did that with Spider-Man too. Uh, when he's forced out of his body um, by Doctor Strange, uh, you get to see the, uh, the PD tingle. You get the the spider sense. If you look close, there's wavy lines above his head that are just like what you see in the comic books. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, I didn't see that. So like it, it's like a almost like a sunshine type right. crown thing. Yeah. Right, it happens there, and it is. Well, I didn't see it the first time because you know dirty screens. But uh, <laughs> seeing it at home the second time, it's like, oh, that's really really good. Uh, just the small bits and pieces. The mirror dimensions still look fantastic when they when they went into that. The effects on that were were really good. Um, the presentations um, of the suits and how they interacted with everything was really solid. I mean, just 
there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of downside. I mean, when it was distracting and hard to follow, it was really hard to follow. But other than that, it was just phenomenal. Yeah, the spell casting with the big circle of symbols and the sky breaking apart all over the place and then having to get put back together again. Yeah. Um, you know, not not super distracting at all. Like everything looked pretty solid. Yeah, pretty good for me. I guess for me that's a 17 out of 20. What about you? Um I thought pretty highly of it. So I'll probably do uh, an 18. All right. All right. Okay. It's is it's do or die time. It's finally into plot and writing, the area that we can actually <laughs> <laughs> completely nitpick <laughs> to, yeah. to, to no end. Um, just in general, the story was fun and it was, it had some really good character growth and it hit the notes that you'll often expect Spider-Man to hit uh, as a character. That was really nice. I thought overall the story was good. I'll, yeah. I'll go with good. Um, there was some things that I didn't, I didn't in turn, I didn't appreciate and ever having the discussion with you, things made more sense, but still seemed off, not like egregiously off, right? No. Just, just didn't, I'm, I'm missing minor congruent things. And then like we like to do, we will obviously nitpick on the nonsensical thing. Right. So right. I, like I said, the the fact that Electro is sucking in all this power and he, he's got an arc reactor. But when he blasts any of the Spider-Man, either they're just like ridiculously awesome and immune to electricity or his power levels when he shoots a bolt of electricity at them are like it's like you have a little <laughs> a taser or something because it doesn't do anything to him. Yeah, I, I thought that that was weird, but. Maybe it's psychological. I, I get it. Maybe it's psychological. He likes Spider-Man because he talks about that at the end of the film. He doesn't really want to hurt him. He just wants to keep his power. That's that's true because uh, he, especially in the dimension that he is in, it felt so much more powerful, especially with a thing like an arc reactor. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like you said, you know, why not just be able to punch out Doc Ock or things like uh, towards the end, you know, you're going, everyone's going to forget who you are. And, you know, Dr. Strange, as he's casting the spell, gives him a little nod. If it was me, I'd nod back and continue to stand there. They're going to forget who I am. I'm going to have my mask on. They've forgotten, right? Okay, take my mask off <laughs> and done. Scene. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't have to go anywhere. Why did he leave? If it's so extreme as in Peter Parker never existed, right? Like how, how in depth are you taking the everyone forgot Peter Parker? Is it everyone forgot Peter Parker? Okay. But everyone forgot Peter Parker and he never existed. Like right. you don't have a social security number. Like I'm, I'm, we're being dumb here, but if he goes and gets an apartment, you have to or have he a, gets a job. Yes. If you get a, he, if he's going to get a job somewhere to make money, at the Daily Bugle, for example, as a photographer. Who knows? But 
he would have to give a social security number so that he could get paid and have taxes taken out. Now, we're being real dumb because when have you ever heard any of that being discussed in a comic book thing before? Like it's a, it's a very real world problem. Right. And comic books are, are trying to get you out of the real world. But how in depth are they actually saying everyone forgot who Peter Parker is? Well, that's what I want. There's know. there's dumb and then there's dumb. I mean, you know, we can suspend our disbelief that somebody's going to be able to. Uh, a normal person is going to be able to survive some of the damaging things that can sometimes happen because, you know, what do we really know about damage? But then there's real life stuff that everybody knows. Everybody knows you got to have that, that information. Him having a GED book doesn't mean anything if nobody knows who he is. He's done as soon as he tries to do anything. So... We're missing something here. Either they they intended something different with that, and the other side of it. Okay, so um, we're gonna. Is it they're forgetting just he is Peter Parker, his existence specifically, or every Peter Parker? Because it's not clear. Because the way that it's written originally, the spell that's that's cast that brings everybody there are people that know that Peter Parker is Spider Man. Okay, across all the multiverse. Why would just forgetting him in this reality change a darn thing? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, what what type of spell was he casting that was multidimensional? Or were we just thinking this dimension, right? Like, how was this spell initially, way back at the beginning of the movie, what is that really addressing? Right. Like what's what's the target audience in terms of the MCU, not in terms of us, but in terms of the MCU, what's the target audience for that spell? Right. And why did it turn from if it was just this one? Why did it suddenly break open all of them? I mean, that's not something that you address in that one, I guess. I, I make sense. And somebody tried to but tell still, me it's like, oh, well, when the, the spell was blown up, that's what actually sent the other people back. Not uh, not the actual second spell that was used to seal the, the breaches to multiple realities. It's like, nope, I'm not going with that either because when the spell was cast, the people came through immediately. There was no time delay. They came through to the earth immediately. But when that spell was destroyed by the pumpkin bomb, it took a good 20 minutes still for everybody to disappear. They didn't actually start disappearing until Strange started doing the second spell. So it was definitely not the first spell that sent them home. There's a 0% chance that is accurate. Or if it is, that was really badly written. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the fact, okay, so we talked about this before. The fact that he even tried that spell or cast that spell to the from the beginning, I had issue with because of his how how flippant he was with using his sorcery skills, especially for something like this, where before he'd been mostly serious, except for what you had pointed out in the very first, and then Dr. Strange, where he went against Dormammu and did what he wasn't supposed to do in that instance. But that was to save the world and save this existence. You know, if he's doing 
that same level type of rule breaking spell just so people forget who peter is you know like like where's where's where's, where's the, line? the line yeah so it's it seems a little ambiguous in in defining who he is as a character um to and, be sure and i i get it because and you would know more than me but the doctor strange character um dr stephen strange was always very confident in his work right yes very overconfident um ultra uh he's kind of he would brag a lot how good he was that type of stuff and we saw that but in the comic books as dr strange he's the same way like he's overtly confident on what he can do yeah he he yeah it's 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 a fun character flaw to play with and it's a common one with a lot of people that have a lot of power to to deal with so there there's there's a little bit of issue there um some people had issue with the the may death i didn't have any problem i thought that was really well done um got she got a, a good character death is such a fun thing for an actor to be able to do and to pull off right is gonna she gets to be this spider-man's uncle ben and that's really nice although i'm torn because i actually liked for once having a spider-man that had somebody that was in his corner and knew he had somebody he could talk to and then to just rip that all the way at the end that's that's a little painful i didn't know if i wanted to go back there quite yet i was happy with this newer version of spider-man that had a support structure well, he kind of he kind of did because he also had Ned. Right. Right. And in in the comics, who who does he really have? Mary Jane? It varies. After years and years and of courtship? It depends. Sometimes he had sometimes he had Ned. Uh sometimes he had um uh not Norman, uh uh Osborne Jr. uh, <laughs> uh Harry. Uh, you you can tell it's getting late when we're recording this. Uh, things are starting to fly by. He has had people in his corner. He's had Iron Man in his corner, both in the movies and in the comics. Um, so it just kind of depends. He's, he's had support structures here and there. It just depends, you know, what year they're writing it in. So now, now he's, that character's back to square none in a certain sense. Did you recognize Uh, the apartment at the end? Mm, no tell me more so it may not be the exact same one but it is obviously meant to elicit uh familiarity from the original spider-man the raimi spider-man when he moves out of his house into that really awful apartment that's basically Mm. that apartment i mean it's got the exact same look and feel but he didn't struggle to open the door. No, right? no. But the but, the light switch was, you know, they got to make things a little bit different. Yeah. But, but uh, I, you know, I saw that the first time, and then uh, my wife's like, "Wow, that looks exactly like that apartment from the original Spider-Man." It's like it does, doesn't it? Uh, I was thinking, you know, it was awful, awfully brown. Does if that if that makes sense? Because like in the other apartments that you saw, they were more brighter colors. Right whites and yellows maybe but in this one it was awfully 
brown from you know age like more more wood more older feel to it right so that was kind of where i thought you were going uh but now it makes more sense too yeah it's just uh, it was just kind of a an, an interesting it feels like an interesting homage i mean maybe i'm wrong i don't think i am but uh you know i mean other things i mean some characters like the uh I still feel like they're they're prepping Ned to become Hobgoblin. I'm hoping they are. That would be really nice. If nothing else, the way they addressed it in the film was really fun. I love that. And we also have to touch on the the Venom sequence at the end. Yeah, that has something to do with the bonus points I'm going to be <laughs> applying here momentarily. Yeah, the... We only got one post credits scene, yeah. right? And we don't ultimately know where the Venom character is going in a certain sense because we know that there is a universe. And at this point, it seems as though it's a, an established separate universe. Yes. but And then it's going to have Morbius and then it's going to have wherever else but why did we see um why did we see adrian tombs in like the morbius trailer well sony properties right uh yeah if they're <laughs> if they're the different universe or the same one i'll figure it out whatever okay yeah, I, i'm a little um, confused and the fact that they that Venom decided he was going to mysteriously leave behind some of his symbiote well, to didn't. create potentially a new, like... He didn't intend to do that. He never does. Yeah, why would that happen? It, okay, whatever. But it very poorly plants a scene for maybe a properly done Venom character That'd with an so improper cool. origin story who does <laughs> well, almost proper almost proper because they're never going to do secret wars but uh <laughs> yeah uh, i overall the plot it was fun there were things that didn't make sense but for the most part it flowed i'm not certain it sets peter up in the way that i want him to be set up um some of the character development uh, in that uh, I, I wasn't super hugely on board with, but uh, all in all, just just a fantastic film. Um, what do you think? Out of 20, what do you give that plot? Uh, I think a solid 15 is good for me. I, was, uh, I think I was a little nicer on the plot. I give that a 17 out of 20 because I really did enjoy it. Um, so... That brings us to our bonus points. I mentioned I was going to give bonus points due to the whole Venom after uh, credits because uh, I watched Venom and you watched Venom and neither of us liked Venom. Uh, and then I watched uh, Venom 2. I don't remember. Did you watch Venom 2? I have not seen that one yet. <laughs> I don't intend on paying any money to watch that one, unfortunately. Yeah, so it yeah. may be a while before I see it. It was uh, aggressively not good. I looked at the box office. It it earned like about half of what the original Venom film did. It's like, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, <laughs> the, the first people that went to it went and saw it and go, oh, I'm really excited. Oh, this, wait, 
what? <laughs> and then when the second one come out, it's like, nah, we're good. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's there's so many more things I'd rather even spend five dollars on than watching that movie. I'd still like to see it, right. but so the, maybe if it float comes to stars or something, I'll be able to the after credit scene when I saw Venom two made me so angry. Uh, seeing Venom transported, the MCU is like, no, no, I do not want, I do not want this Venom anywhere near this Spider Man because it is no, huh? So the amount of relief that I felt <laughs> when he went back at the end of this film is like, excellent, good, okay, leave a little blob, fine, I don't care, just so long as that Venom is gone. Um, and he's nothing against Tom Hardy. I like him. Uh, and But no, that is not not right. So I gave that a point just for getting rid of Venom. <laughs> just for wiping the brow with the, getting the sweat <laughs> off of there. Do you have any bonus points? Um, I have one bonus point um, for, I'll reiterate, the strength of the Green Goblin character. Um just the creepy nature of him switching between the personalities, the strength level that was portrayed, I thought was really awesome. Uh, the glider was cool. The bombs are cool. You'll always have that with that type of character. But yeah, yeah one point for the Green Goblin. Well, that brings our totals to an 89 for me and a 91 for Richard. Uh, very solid scores for No Way Home. Uh, as always, we would love to know what you think. Just let us know at any time. Uh, we love to 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 see that passion uh, to to love or or dislike whatever film that uh, that you see. Did we miss something? Was there a little nugget of plot that we didn't talk about that we should have talked about, or did we mention something that you know is absolutely wrong? You know, get on Instagram, get on Twitter, get on Facebook. You can get on TikTok. We won't see you, but uh, <laughs> get on anywhere else. But until next time, stay safe, people. Uh, continue to have fun uh, watching the movies as they com come back to the theaters. We get to actually have a lot more movies again, and it's just, just a fantastic thing. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing our top 10 movies of extraordinary length, and uh, we will regale you with what we think are the top extraordinarily long films to watch. By extraordinarily long? Over two hours and 30 minutes. Yes. So we mean According long. to whatever random showtime thing we want to look at. Because that's, right. that's, you know, it's our rules. That's right. It's our choice. We get to do what we want. We're big boys. <laughs>